Hello, everyone, and welcome to NCEA Podcast. This is Kevin Baxter, Chief Innovation Officer for NCEA, and welcome to this week's uh, uh, podcast. Uh, we are blessed and very, very excited to have Evelyn Rickenbacker with us. Uh, Evelyn's the principal at Transfiguration School in Los Angeles uh, and uh, has lots to share. Uh, she has an article coming up in the uh, upcoming issue of Momentum that talks about uh, Transfiguration and their response to both COVID-19 and um the racial justice issues that arose out of the murder uh, of George Floyd. And so we're going to talk about all of that today. Uh, and so welcome, Evelyn. Good morning, Dr. Baxter. Thank you. So I wanted to start a little bit with your background and um, how you um, came to Catholic education and, um, and how you found yourself as principal at Transfiguration. Okay. I actually uh, am an alum of Transfiguration School, so I went to Transfiguration third through eighth grade and uh, stayed local for high school, college, and then um, after moving with my husband for the military, we ended up in San Diego, and I started working in Catholic schools there in the Diocese of San Diego, and I thought it was great. It, It was a natural fit because I was a a student for so many years in Catholic school, and I enjoyed it. And so when my husband's time was up, we moved back to Los Angeles, and I worked in Hawthorne at a Catholic school for seven years as a sixth grade teacher. And I had a son that I was interested in putting in Catholic school, and Transfiguration was our first choice. So he was a student here, and the former principal asked me to work here um, when he was a student. And so my journey began here at Transfiguration as a seventh grade homeroom teacher, math teacher, as well as vice principal. Uh, And I started here in 2012. So it's been a lot of fun to be at my alma mater. That's great. Um, You mentioned the article a little bit about Limert Park and kind of that neighborhood. Um, So describe where Transfiguration is in terms of its neighborhood in Los Angeles. Oh, Transfiguration is is in a great part of a suburb of Los Angeles in a community called Lamert Park, which has a, a thriving arts, music, performing arts background, a predominantly African-American population. But our population has changed in, the, in recently in the most few years and um, it's very diverse and uh, Latinx community as well, white. Um, and so our school population reflects that. And it's, it's been a, a real joy to see um, Transfiguration evolve with the arts, very similar to the way our community looks. Um, so we're located right here in South Los Angeles, Lamert Park. That's great. Um, so um, let's start a little bit with... Um, COVID-19 and the pandemic, of course, that's upended Catholic schools across the United States. Um, In the article, you write that uh, March 12th was the big date for you, that you, when you reflect back and think about that. Uh, And so talk a little bit about March 12th, kind of what happened and how how you uh, began to respond to this this evolving crisis. Sure. Um, Part of one of my responsibilities within the Archdiocese of Los Angeles, in addition to being principal at Transfiguration, 
is I am on our leadership council. And so I attend monthly meetings. And so on that day we met like we generally do monthly and it, it, the tone was different. You know, people seemed a little anxious and a little uh, hesitant to sit next to each other when generally, you know, the first, I would say 10 minutes is, is filled with principles sort of chatting and catching up. And um, that day was different. And after prayer, our, our conversation immediately turned to what will we do um, in response to COVID-19? And, and really up until that point, you really didn't think it was something that was going to affect your school community. I mean, you heard the news and, and, and you saw what was going on in different parts of the world. But to really hit home, it, it still seemed far away. Um, so we immediately sort of strategized, uh, myself and the other principals with the guidance of the archdiocese on how we could prepare our teachers, our students and parents. And so that meeting prompted us to move full forward with, um, a, I would say a professional development, but really more of a planning meeting with teachers and letting parents know that the likelihood of us missing school, which we thought would be two to three weeks, was pretty evident that that was going to happen a lot quicker. So the next day I spoke to the faculty that Friday, I think it was even Friday the 13th, and that Monday we planned and by Tuesday we were off and running with our distance learning and um, what we thought would be two to three weeks is, you know, of course, carried on almost six months now. And so, you know, one of the things um, we heard a lot when um, when COVID-19 shut down schools is how quickly and eff I guess I'd say efficiently Catholic schools transitioned. And what you just described was incredible, that you're at this meeting on Thursday, March 12th. And at that point, you start to think, wow, maybe we have to do this. You talk to your faculty on that Friday. You take Monday to plan. And then Tuesday, you start. That's, it's incredible when you think in five days that you prepped for something that you obviously um, you know, weren't, weren't necessarily prepared for. So that's, it's just remarkable. And, and when you reflect on that, what do you think about? Well, I think about uh, how Catholic school educators are, are always so flexible and, and just the ability to say, okay, well, this is what we need to do for our, our students and our, our families to continue with learning, but also making sure our, our families and ourselves are safe and it was it was no resistance it was no oh my goodness we have to do this it was like okay let's let's go in and, and dive in and do this and i think for us you know we've been blessed with the generosity of many donors and because of that we have received training using technology um had gone to various technology conferences that the diocese had provided for us but we really never implemented all of those tools because we were always in person in the classroom. And so, you know, Google Classroom, that platform, some teachers used it, some teachers didn't. But just that quickly, all that training really came to fruition. And it was like, OK, we've got to do it. We've got to dive in and, and use all this training. And um, most of our families had the tools at home in terms of a computer to to do the distance learning and we allowed families to borrow devices if they needed it. 
So it really speaks to how resilient and um, prepared Catholic school educators are, how much our families trust us because they really, you know, you know, took this huge leap of faith and, and trusted us that this was going to work. And then our students, you know, if, if my teacher says this is what we're going to do, then it must be the right thing to do. So it, it really spoke to everyone's just will to make it happen so our students could learn. That's beautiful. And, and again, we heard stories like that across the country uh, in different Catholic schools that did similar things. And I think you're you're absolutely right about this, the, the nature of Catholic school teachers and Catholic school educators. Um, you said, well, obviously, when you did this, you thought maybe two to three weeks you weren't. You know, and, and what it's turned into is obviously much, much longer than that. In the article you talk about really starting off and people being um, you know, enthusiastic and feeling pretty good, but there was a little bit of a shift after maybe two weeks or so where you started to sense students feeling a little disillusioned and confused and discouraged. Um, talk about how you saw that process kind of playing out and then a little bit of how you responded to it. Okay. Well, I would say, you know, the first week or two, you're, you're thinking, wow, I can sleep in. I don't have to get dressed for, for work. I don't have to, you know, take that commute and, and everyone was sort of in this stage where we, like I said, we thought we would be returning quite quickly. Um, after that, you start realizing you're watching the news and you start realizing, wow, this might go on for a lot longer. And, and we started to approach our uh, Easter vacation. You started to see students on Zoom um, looking very down, kind of sad, um, you would receive, I would receive emails from parents where their jobs were uncertain. I immediately had a few parents um, lose their jobs. And then teachers really just trying to navigate this platform and, and use other apps to really uh, engage the students. But also the parents and our teachers juggling their home life as well as their professional life. Um, really started to take a toll after about two weeks. And so um, it, it really it, it really said to us, wow, you know, we, we're so used in a Catholic school of being together. Um, and you realize you couldn't play with your friends. You couldn't see those colleagues in the break room and have lunch with them. Parents couldn't come on the yard. Uh, we have a large population of grandparents that support our children and they usually sit right outside my office and I can hear them at the end of the day chatting. You couldn't do those things anymore. And so it really started to take a toll, I would say about week two or three. I think that's right. And I think that's the hard part about um, distance learning is obviously in Catholic schools. I don't know. I, I always say especially, but I know all schools could have this, but that sense of community, that sense of connectedness, that sense of our faith kind of binding us and the whole community coming together. Um, you write in the, I uh, really struck by this one statement that you made in the article about you felt the need to recreate community. This idea that the community was, was lost a little bit because they, you were, apart from each other, but you wanted to be really intentional about recreating that community uh, in terms of faculty and, and those types of things. And so what were some strategies that you did to, you know, beef up faculty meetings and those types of things? Well, um, in my deanery meetings, and my deanery is amazing, of, of other um, principals who serve in this community as well, 
um, we were talking about it. What can we do for our teachers? We know they're struggling. Their days are longer. You know, they're, they're up until all hours of the night trying to, to plan and look up engaging lessons. And they're also responding to parents who are trying to navigate this virtual platform. And so one of my colleagues shared that he did scavenger hunts with his teachers and he did Jeopardy and he gave prizes when they, when they won these games. So we start, I started um, incorporating that into the faculty meetings. And it was the first one I did was so funny because you could te see teachers just bolt from their computers, you know, running in their house, trying to find different items. And I said, this might be exactly what we needed, you know, to really kind of bring us all together and make things fun and interesting. Um, this was also right around the time that we had uh, teacher appreciation week. And so I decided that it would be a good idea to have a parade. And so it was very simple. Our parents, they came through our school lot and I really thought it would be a good way for us teachers to see the students and, you know, they come through the lot, we wave at them, but it turned into so much more than that. We did it for one hour and there, it, there was a line of cars at the street and we did it early in the day. And so I wasn't sure parents would come, but they did. They had signs, they honked their horns. Some of them reached out of their cars with flowers. And the teachers were so moved by the fact that the, the students and the families really appreciated what they were doing because in the classroom, you could get that immediate feedback, but virtually it looks quite different. And, and that was one of the, 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 turning points for us, just in terms of just bringing us back together. And then um, at the close of the week, um, I mapped out every teacher's location, where they lived. Um, I created care packages. My mother helped me and I had shirts made for them. And I went, it was actually surprising how close everyone lives to the school. I would say maybe 10 to 15 miles away was the furthest but it took about eight hours and I visited maybe 12 teachers because I probably spent anywhere from 20 to 30 minutes at each house and we chatted and you know, you just realize how much you miss them too. You know, we know we miss the kids, but you know, as educators, you know, we're so used to having each other to bounce ideas off and just to, to validate the work we do. Uh, it was really great for me. Uh, to see them and to continue to encourage them. Hey, you're doing a great job. This too shall pass. And um, it was it was the close of a wonderful week and a real turning point for us. You know, that's such a beautiful story. Um, and just your approach and the fact that you took that time to do that. Um, and, and it's funny, I was thinking about how much that helps to build community, exactly what we're talking about. And especially during COVID, how people feel it's so much harder to do that. Um, and yet, in the, and you know, in the article, you have a line there, Evelyn, where you say the community fed my soul, which I thought was such a, a beautiful way to put it, that you were doing all of this giving, you were giving of yourself and making sure you were caring for your teachers. And yet you felt like your own soul was being fed by that experience. Absolutely. You know, one of the things that, one of the beauties of being at your alma mater is having the opportunity to work alongside parents who you went to school with, um, students who you've taught multi-generational, 
Um, I myself, in addition to being an alum, my mother's an alum of the school, and my son just graduated in June. So I have three generations in my family who've graduated from here. So everyone connects somehow. So to be able to do that really gave me a great sense of purpose where principals, we don't get that same sort of feedback as classroom teachers do. So that really was important to me to be able to say, hey, I miss you too. Like I'm used to you knocking on my door or seeing you on the yard. Um, and so that community, the community we have here is truly amazing. And, and we were able to really tap into that. And, and I just felt really blessed to be able to be a part of, of this community. So I want to transition because that sense of community is obviously so important at Transfiguration and you play such a, a large role in helping to build that. Um, you mentioned your uh, kind of diverse student population in the article. You said about 80% African-American students and maybe the other 20% are either uh, Latino or, or maybe multiracial. And so obviously then we have this tragedy of, of the murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis. And then what happens after that is just uh, kind of a reckoning with racial injustice and systemic racism and, and these issues that became very much, um, um, you know, active in the, in the whole country. How did uh, Transfiguration uh, and the community really respond to that? I think um, so much of what we do um, freedom walks, peace walks during um, Dr. King's holiday, um, Black History Month. We have an African drum line here um, and we play for, for different schools or different events if we're asked to. Um, so, so many activities that we do are ingrained in our, our culture and our community that when that happened, um, the murder of George Floyd, it created yet another dialogue and conversation um, with our children. Um, I have three sons, and you know, one of the things that I talk to my sons about, as well as the students here at school, you know, when you're out, you in in public, you always have to be mindful of what people perceive you as. You know, be careful about what you say, the way you look, you present yourself in a professional manner. People treat you that way. And, and, and there are conversations that happen in the black community that when that happened to, to George Floyd, my son started to say, oh, because things like this can happen. And, and I remember my son watching the news and just asking so many questions about it. And it, and it really hit home to see, even though that happened so far away from us here in Lamert Park, the response um, from our community of just being so outraged instead of a black, I, I say it's not a movement, it's a moment. We continue to have those moments in the black community. Um, and it, it's something that we talk to our students about, our children about. Um, here in Lamert Park, you could hear, you could hear the sounds of drumming. Um, I probably live about a, a mile and a half away from where the, the hub of Lamert Park is, and you could hear it. You could hear the protesters, and you talk to your, your children and your students about speaking up for themselves, doing what's right. I mean, that's Catholic education in general, you know, um, looking out for people who need that type of support. But, you know, to happen 
in, in such a public way um, was really such a sad thing. And I, I think our parents, you know, they're amazing because they continue to have the conversations about maybe everyone is not going to mistreat you, but there are people in the world who, who don't do the right thing. And what will your response be to that? Um, and in social studies classes, teachers addressed it. So it, it really continued those conversations that I have with my own sons that we have in our community about people are always not going to do the right thing. And you have to stand up for what's right. Um, but to see the, the rioting and the looting so close to home, it had been since um, I was in high school um, when the Rodney King riots happened that response since I had seen anything like it and it and it really is it's telling and it's a perfect opportunity to be in Catholic schools so you could talk about just how our world in inside of transfiguration our world outside of transfiguration doesn't model that we spend a lot of time teaching you how to treat people well how to do the right thing we pray for people and it doesn't always look like that when you leave here but what will you do you know what will your response be and so um, I think those conversations really continued and became more evident with our children as a result such a powerful way to educate the way you're describing it, um, which is which is just uh, the way I think all Catholic schools have to be. I wonder if you've reflected on that. Obviously, the work you're doing at Transfiguration and really communicating that and educating young people about um, you know confidence and and being and being respectful and understanding you know kind of your role kind of your role and how you have to kind of establish yourself. Um, I think Catholic schools have a lot to learn from that. And do you have a sense of that, that, that are there things happening at Transfiguration that you'd like to see maybe more widely dispersed either throughout Deanery or through the Archdiocese of LA or obviously through the country? I, I think I would, I would like to see, and I do see some Catholic schools doing it, but I would like to see um, an emphasis put on um, what racism looks like. Um, how do we respond to that? How do we, how do we value where people come from as well as embrace what everyone has to bring? Um, I think here at our school, um, like I said, different activities and events. Um, I, and, and when I was writing this, I didn't even realize, you know, some of the things that we do, um, was reflecting back on photographs of, of different marches that we do. You know, we, we march every year, you know, in response to Dr. King for peace. Um, Rosa Parks came and sat in our church, and there's a special place in our church that um, has a placard where she sat. So, you know, the civil rights movement and, and just um, embracing uh, who we are and our heritage has been so ingrained, and I would like to see in every Catholic school, no matter what your ethnic um background of your students are, your families are. I would like to see that embrace where students have the opportunity to share, where teachers understand, um, are, are knowledgeable and educated in where their families come from. And I think um, that makes such a big difference in 
you know, for example, in eighth grade class, sending them out into the world so they know what it could look like. Within our walls, this is what it may, this is what we teach you. This is what we value. Everyone doesn't value that. Everyone doesn't see you as just a human being. They might see you based on your color. And it's a, and it's a very sad thing, but it's 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 real to be able to to share with our children. This is what's happening in our world, and we want you. That's why your parents have put you here in Catholic schools, is so we can teach you how to go out and make a difference, how to change that. And I, I just think from our protesting, or I won't even call them protests, but our marches for peace that we do every year, it made sense. And we have one this year that was was really powerful, where the police escorted us down Martin Luther King Boulevard, and I reflected on that. And so, you know, when we're able to come back together, we'll be able to express ourselves and continue to do that in that way. And I would like to see other schools embrace their school communities as well in the same. That's beautiful. Um, and I had not known that about Rosa Parks. What a beautiful story uh, for, for transfiguration. You know, um, here's some parts of the country, and, and obviously there are different geographies and different realities, and, and obviously that's... But I know Transfiguration, and I know obviously you have a largely African-American teaching staff as well as a, as a student population. Some of the concerns in Catholic schools in different parts of the country is that they might have a student population that's largely black and brown kids, but the teaching staff is largely white. Um, and, and the challenge that they'll often say is, oh, we try to recruit, but, you know, challenges with recruiting— but also, how, to, how would you respond to those types of communities? Because a lot of what you're describing, Evelyn, is so beautiful, and it also sounds like it's just a natural way that you uh, are leading the school and that your teachers are teaching at the school, which is, which is just a beautiful example of how we all need to, to, to do that and to be better at that. But what would your advice be to communities maybe where you have that, that disconnect, where you have a, a, a teaching population that doesn't necessarily reflect the students that they're teaching? That's a great question. Well, one of the things that I observed that was very different from the, the riots in the 90s in response to Rodney King and obviously the, the civil rights movement of the 60s is that the response to George Floyd, you saw all different walks of people protesting, marching, speaking out on, on human rights, civil rights, social injustice. And what I would say to those communities who don't have teachers who are reflective of their communities is to do what those people who were marching and protesting did. You know, you, you research, you, you speak to other people who are a part of these communities and ask them, you know, what, what are some things that you think is important for, for me to teach your children. Um, it, it's not, it doesn't necessarily require a teacher who is black or brown. Um, it's, it's great to have a staff that's reflective, but Catholic school teachers, unfortunately, are not always called, you know, to teach um, in different communities. So what can you do on your site is to tap in and, and do the work. Um, you research, you talk about social injustice, you talk about, you, you teach those kids, hey, this is, this is our population and this is what we want you to know about your friends in the classroom. But when you step outside, it, there, there might be some racial prejudice, there might be social injustice. And, and those teachers, I think, are, are just as capable um, to teach those same just values, you know, to their students. 
but to also maybe reach out to others who who know what that struggle looks like. Um, and I think using those resources, whether it's you know researching it, whether it is tapping into colleagues for support, guest speakers, um, really makes a difference and making making it real um, to students and and letting them know that what they're learning in Catholic schools is you know people don't always practice that, but it's our job to to go out and serve and to to do better. And so I think by tapping into to other resources and people who could potentially provide support would be great for those communities. That's such great advice. And I think in some ways, those types of communities almost need that more, right? They need to get that education more because they're not living, they're not living that and they don't have that as a lived experience. And so that education piece is almost, uh, obviously it is more important in those types of communities. We're approaching uh, the end of our time together, which has been, which has been tremendous. I'm curious, what do you see the next year bringing for you at Transfiguration? You mentioned obviously having to start the year uh, in in kind of a distance learning frame again, um, and then obviously, so obviously with COVID, uh, we've talked about the uh, racial injustice that we've seen and kind of where that movement uh, perhaps uh, goes. Um, what are you seeing over the course of the year that you're thinking about in terms of, of some of these big issues? Well, I think um, our response, you know, in the spring was, okay, this is the platform we have to use. And, you know, we're going to try and do the best we can. But now that we know that we've had to start school this way, we're going to provide the best distance learning platform we can, right? So our attitude has to be optimistic. Um, and that's something that I always try and do to look at the brighter side of things. Things could be so much worse. Um, so we've started off, you know, virtually, but we've already had three community events. Um, we've had a parent happy hour where they came and we gave them, you know, happy hour tokens and parent t-shirts. We had a student pray where we welcome students back. We've had back to school night. Um, we've engaged the community by Mondays and Fridays. We do our morning assembly and I've invited families to come in. So I'm on my second family and I was, I was taken aback by how both families said they felt honored to be asked to come in, you know, and they just miss being a part of the community. Um, us doing that, um, in response to the, the social injustices that we've experienced, um, many of the teachers have asked me if they can um, use a different um, set of standards curriculum for social studies. So I have a few teachers who have already started with an, um, a kind of an O Freedom uh, platform where they talk about, you know, African Americans, our place in the world, in the community, um, and, and just different types of topics that are really relevant for our students. And so we're only on our second week of school and we've already started off, you know, with the ground, hitting the ground running. So I, I think to just continue to have these conversations, um, to educate ourselves, um, why things happen, what we can do differently, how can we learn from our mistakes, um, and just also just trying to be together as much as we can safely, you know, even if it's just driving through the parking lot and that's what it's looked like. Um, has really just been a blessing. And, and we, we're blessed to be able to do that, even though our circumstance, circumstances might be bleak, but we cannot focus on that. 
We have to focus on, you know, providing the best education for our children. And that education is not just academic, it's social emotional. So that's kind of where we are. You know, we're excited that the school year has started. We're blessed to be able to open our, you know, our school even virtually. And um, we're I'm just just happy to be here. Uh, such a beautiful, inspiring message. Um, and what a tremendous leader you are. I, uh, I always feel like I need to add, I was blessed to work with Evelyn, uh, in my time as superintendent in LA and just awed by your, your leadership and what you've brought to your community and, um, and just your sharing today has been so, so wonderful. And thank you also for writing the article for us. So Evelyn, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you so much, Dr. Baxter. That'll do it for this uh, episode of NCEA Podcast. Thank you so much for downloading and participating. We are, we are blessed by your listenership. Uh, this is Kevin Baxter, Chief Innovation Officer for NCEA, and we will see you next time. God bless. God bless.